0: You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation.
1: That paint on your wall, or on a fire truck, or a park bench, it's stuck there. You could get it off, but it wouldn't be that easy.
0: Today we're asking how. How does paint stick?
1: We'll find out right now.
0: Keep listening.
1: listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom and my co-host today is 11-year-old Aiden Bay from Los Angeles. Hi Aiden. Hi Molly. Aiden, you are a painter and what kind of paint do you like to use? Uh, acrylics, water-based paints. And how long have you been painting for? Uh, as far as I can
0: remember, I think uh, since preschool, which was like four or five, maybe
1: even younger. And what kind of uh, subjects do you like to paint?
0: I like sports. I do, like, sports players, like baseball players and football players. But then I also like doing things like robots because I think they're
1: really cool looking. And it's really fun to do it with paint. For people who haven't painted before, how does it start? How do you first start your paintings?
0: Well, for, I haven't—I've done this—started not started this not too long ago. But how I started is I get this uh one, like, thing called Gesso. It's, like, this white paint. And you put it onto the canvas before, so it becomes really nice and smooth. And then, like, when the paint comes on, it comes on a lot easier. So uh, that's how I start. And then do you sketch first with, like, a pencil? Yeah, I sketch with a pencil. Sometimes I do it freely, and I just start with paint, maybe. But usually I'll do it with pencil. And then I paint it with the colors I want. And then I'll keep on doing, like, more layers, because the first layer it's probably not going to come on as smoothly as maybe you want it to
1: go so the painting is made up of many layers of paint
0: yes it's not just one sometimes it may but not really
1: so people who look at paintings they might just see a painting and they might have no idea how many layers went into it
0: for some people they're probably not even like if they didn't know paintings they'd probably think that they just put on one layer of paint aiden do you do you mix your own paints yeah I have this one chart, and actually, you know, multiplication tables? Uh Uh-huh. Like, there's a big chart, and then it shows you. Well, it's kind of like that. You have to, like, get two colors, like these base colors, and I have them all. And then you have to, like, the color you want,
1: it shows you, like, what two colors you need to mix it. That's really cool. So if you want to make some green color, you would need, like, a yellow and a blue, for instance.
0: That's, like, the base. But also you might put, like, you might get, like, a regular green. You can, like, add a little bit of white if you want it b- lighter, but... And some people think you might need black to make it darker, but it sometimes can be kind of goopy. So stick around sort of, like, maybe
1: a gray or a brownish. Do you ever think of painting, like, a science or a math because of the adding and subtracting and the mixing that you're doing?
0: Not really, because I like painting because it's really stress-free. And it's not... It's, like, it gets complicated at but then I think after a while... It, I've
1: been painting for a while, so it's got really easy. Painter! Ada knows a lot about painting, and we heard from another painter, eight year old Sadie from Oakland. She emailed us with a question What makes paint stick?
0: I thought it was a good question because I don't know, and I don't know if many people do, and I just really want to know. I think it's probably some, like, a A material in the paint, but I don't know what material.
1: To find out how paint sticks, we're going to start by zooming in, way in, to learn more about what paint, and really everything else, is made of. Our pal
2: Jackie is going to take it from here. Have you heard of atoms before? They're kind of a big deal, even though they're very tiny, like a million times smaller than the width of a human hair. Pretty much everything on Earth is made up of atoms. You, me, everything. Now, some atoms like to link up with other atoms to form bigger things called molecules. Kind of like how a few smaller Lego pieces go together to make a bigger Lego piece. For paint to stick, the atoms that make up the paint molecules have to interact with the atoms that make up the wall molecules. So, how do atoms and molecules interact with each other? To find out, let's visit a molecule party.
0: Molecule Party!
3: H2O! I haven't seen you since the pool! How's it going? Oh, you know, just floating by. Right, you Much like
2: friends hanging out, <laughs> atoms like to interact. It's how they link together to form molecules. But they interact for different reasons. Sometimes, it's because these atoms share something in common, called an electron. These are tiny, negatively charged particles that spin around the atom. Atoms really like electrons. If they get just the right amount, they feel balanced and right with the world. Take these two atoms over here, for instance. Hey,
3: cool electrons you got there. Yeah, I got a bunch. Actually, they're pretty nifty. I've only got a few. It's Not as fun. I wish I had more. Yeah. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Why don't we share some of mine? Then it'll be like we both have a ton. Whoa, you do that for me? Bro, we are going to be the
0: best friends.
2: When atoms share electrons like this, It's called a covalent bond. Those are very hard interactions to break up. Sometimes atoms don't just share, though. They straight up give away their electrons. This can happen when a negatively charged atom and a positively charged atom interact to make a molecule. These two atoms are really attracted to each other the same way the positive side of one magnet is drawn to the negative side of another. Take this couple for instance.
0: This is so fun! I just love parties.
2: <laughs> parties are lame.
0: Seriously, what's not to love? There's pizza. There's soda. I prefer salads and sparkling water. You don't like talking to friends. Rather be reading books. Dancing. I'm sitting. Games. Meditation. Hanging out late. Getting up early. Dogs. Cats. Sunshine. Rain clouds. You are. Th- The most fascinating person I have ever met! I think I'm in love! Me too. I've never met someone so different, and yet I just can't get enough of your positive attitude. I want you to have something. What is it? Here. Open it. (gasps) Electrons. I've never felt so... so balanced. You're good to have around.
2: Isn't that sweet? They're bonding to form a molecule. When one atom gives electrons to another like this, they form what's called an ionic bond.
0: Ionic in the house, say yeah! yeah. Covalent in the house, say yeah. yeah!
2: Now, ionic and covalent bonds usually help to form molecules. These are the bonds that allow certain atoms to link up to become paint molecules. So, once you've got your paint molecules, how do they stick to the wall molecules? Well, this takes a different kind of interaction, one that's not so intense. Like over here, we have a group of friend atoms sitting on one side of a table. They're chatting with a different friend group on the other side of the table. Oh
1: my gosh, you don't oh that it's so interesting. Interesting.
2: Now, at any given moment, one friend might be really interested in what someone on the other side of the table is saying.
3: So, once we were bonded, I, I mean, nothing could break us up. Until water came along.
2: Wait, wait, what? Water enters the picture? Tell me more. But that interest may only last a few seconds before that atom's attention
4: drifts.
3: Well, water needs to be like my best friend. But then... Things got a little crazy, and then water wasn't really my best friend. Speaking of
4: water, I'm thirsty. Maybe I should go get a
2: drink. But before that friend can leave, his pal to the right might suddenly get really interested in what someone else across the table is saying.
3: Hey, dude, did you hear the story
4: Carbon is telling? It's so funny. Check it out. uh, What?
0: Uh, Tell it to me. Well, you know... I'm like, I'm like one of the key building blocks of all life
2: on Earth. In this case, no one atom at the the table is strongly interacting with any other one for very long. But as a group, they stay put because at any given moment, a few of them are interested enough to keep talking. On an atomic level, this kind of interaction happens because those atoms sometimes have very brief moments where one side becomes positive or negative. As we mentioned earlier, Positive atoms like to stick around negative atoms. So, for this ultra-short period, an atom might be attracted to another atom, but only for that instant before it goes back to feeling neutral. If it happens enough times, dispersed across enough atoms, things stick, see? Hey, um, should we get going?
4: Nah, let's sit here and talk a while longer. I
2: wanted to ask that atom over there about valence. Oh, no, that sounds cool. Okay, I'm, I'm down to stick around. This kind of interaction is called a dispersion force. It's an example of an intermolecular bond that's weaker than covalent or ionic bonds, but it's just as important. Paint usually sticks to things thanks to these weaker intermolecular bonds. So, next time you brush on some paint, imagine the paint molecules sitting at a table with the wall molecules chatting... They'll keep the conversation going, and that'll keep the paint stuck to the wall.
0: Y'all ready to spell with me?
2: Somebody
5: say B-O-N-D.
0: B-O-N-D. B-O-N-D. Say it with me. Molecule Party, yeah!
1: Now we're going to zoom out a little more and find out what ingredients make up paint. To find out, we talked to someone who knows a lot about paint.
3: My name's Rich Simon.
1: Rich is a chemist who works at Valspar. They make paint. And Rich's job is all about solving paint mysteries. To start off, he told us paint is made up of four parts. Pigment, which is the color. Solvent, which is the liquid. Resin, which carries the pigment. And additives. Now, paints go through a transformation when they go from being wet to dry. The solvent for most paints is water. And the resin can be something like latex. When you look at a latex molecule, it looks like a long chain bonded together. Those kinds of molecules are called polymers. What's
3: happening in that situation is your water is evaporating off. Your polymer are in... You can think about it as little f- beads that are floating around in, inside the water. They're what we would, we would use the term dispersed. And as the water is evaporating off, your beads start to come together. You want those beads not only to stick together, but you want them to start forming together. While that water is evaporating off, is you want those, those polymers, those molecules, to start entwining with each other.
1: So as the water evaporates, those beads of resin spread out and create a thin film of paint over the surface. It's that film that's left behind that ends up being the paint we see on a surface.
0: But not every paint likes every surface. A paint that is perfect for wood might not stick to metal, and vice versa.
3: So you really have to engineer or modify your paints in in, a, in such a way that's specific for your for your surface that you want. So if they didn't like going to that surface um, and they weren't interacting with that surface, you would just be able to pull it off like a sheet of paper.
0: At Valspar... Where Rich works, they make all kinds of paints. From beige wall paint, to green tractor paint, to a purple grape soda can.
1: Rich's lab helps figure out which paint will stick to which surface. If someone is trying to make a new paint and it's not working, Rich will figure out why it's not.
3: We're sort of the problem solvers, the the ones who have the high-tech equipment to be able to understand what is happening in a paint system. Everything that happens is because of changes that are happening at this microscopic and molecular level that we can't see, but we have instrumentation to be able to help us understand.
1: And now, Aiden, before we go any further, we have some important business to take care of. It's time for the Mystery Sound. Mystery Sound. Are you ready? Here it is. Do you have any guesses? It sounds kind of
0: like a jet from a plane engine, like how it starts. And also it
1: kind of sounds like, like the wave from the ocean. And did you hear that little noise that was kind of like a swishing noise, like the shh, shh, sh- shh, over top of that? Yeah, sort of. Well, while you think about it, we're going to come back to it in a little bit, and we'll hear it again. Okay. And you can see if you have any other guesses. Marie. All right. Right now, we're working on a series of episodes all about the science of cooking, and we want to hear from you. If aliens landed and it was your job to introduce them to the food of planet Earth, what dish would you serve them and why? Send your ideas to hello at brainson.org. You can also send your mystery sounds, drawings, and questions to that same email address. That's what Aisha did.
0: My question is, how does the sand get on the beach?
1: We'll have an answer to that question during our moment of um at the end of the show. That's also when we'll read the latest group of listeners to be added to the brains on a roll. Those are the brilliant minds that keep us going by sharing their ideas with us. Stick around. So glad you stuck around, because we're about to talk to someone who uses paint that doesn't come from a lab. James Griffith lives in Los Angeles, California. He paints animals using a very special medium. We won't ruin the surprise. Let's let James tell us about it himself. Welcome to Brains On. Good to be here. So what do you use for paint?
4: Well, I use tar, and I get the tar at the La Brea Tar Pits.
1: For those of us not in Los Angeles, what are the La Brea Tar Pits.
4: The La Brea Tar Pits is a magical place. Uh, Right in the middle of Los Angeles is a portal to the ancient past, and it's a big hole in the ground. And in that hole bubbles up this tar from an underground lake, a reserve of tar that's been there for millions of years. And that tar is famous because... Over those millions of years, various animals that have once lived and now are extinct got trapped into that tar. And as a result, it has one of the largest warehouses, if you will, of ancient bones of animals that no longer exist.
0: Do you use tar? Do you like add things to it or you just use plain tar?
4: Well, if I use tar straight from the tar pits, it would stay sticky for millions of years, and that could be a real problem if anybody wanted to keep the painting for very long or didn't want to have things stick to it. Right. So I add a lot to it. It's sort of an alchemy of chemicals, but as you probably are aware of how paint is made, there's a lot of chemicals that can go into paint to make it work and stay dry.
0: Do you paint on, like, wood, canvas, paper?
4: The tar is fairly acidic. And what that means is that if you were to put it on a fabric or paper, it would eventually cause the paper to rot. So uh, I have to put it on a neutral medium that will be easy to preserve. So I use metal and I spray it with a primer and then I put gesso on top so it's white. And then I paint with a tar in very thin layers. And uh, so far, the years I've been doing this, it hasn't broken down yet. Wow. Well. <laughs> Tar is, is dark, and it's fairly brown even when you thin it down. And so uh, my paintings sort of look like they're made with coffee. And I thought, I need some more color in here. So um, I hike a lot. I go off in uh, the, the wilderness, so to speak, in nature. And uh, I'm always looking around at the materials around me to see what else could I stick in a painting. Pollen is one thing, it's yellow. And so I collect um, pollen in the right season. And um, sometimes I mix that with chemicals to uh, be like a paint, but sometimes I simply sprinkle it on the paint when it's wet, the, the tar paint. I use sometimes minerals Old rocks and things. If I see a, a bright red rock in Utah, I might pick it up and see if I can grind it into a powder and make paint out of it.
0: Yeah, I saw some blue in some of your paintings. Yeah,
4: that's copper sulfate, and uh, it makes a beautiful blue. Uh, the th- trouble with working with that is it has a danger side to it. It's poison, but it uh, can be handled carefully, and it's a uh, beautiful, beautiful blue.
1: And if kids were interested in making their own paint out of natural materials, is there somewhere you would recommend they start?
4: You know, you can make paint in many simple ways by just taking acrylic varnish that you can buy in a store, an art store, and just add stuff to it. You could add sand that you find in the the playground. You could add glitter that you you buy in a store, but uh, you can just start sticking stuff in paint and it'll dry, and essentially that is paint.
1: Thanks so much for being here today, James.
4: My pleasure. Good to meet you.
1: Head to our website,
0: BrainsOn.org, to find out more about James Griffith's paintings. <laughs> we know you're curious. What questions do you want to see answered on Brains On? Send them to us.
1: You can email them to hello at BrainsOn.org.
0: If you're a Brains On super fan, help us out by leaving a review on iTunes. The more reviews we have, the easier
1: it is for other kids and parents to find us. It's quick and easy, and you can tell the world there while you listen to Brains On. Thanks. <laughs> Ears open, Brains On, let's go back to the mystery sound. Here it is. Any final guesses? It sounds sort of like a brush
0: going like on a canvas or some type of surface really quickly.
1: You
5: are so very close. Here is the answer. That was the sound of using a cotton swab to clean a painting. That's Christy Jeffcoat. She's a painting
1: conservator at the Midwest Art Conservation Center in Minneapolis. She helps restore paintings that
5: have been damaged or have deteriorated over time. As soon as a paint is applied onto the surface, it starts deteriorating, actually. It starts aging, just like people do. When a painting comes into the lab, the first thing we do is what we call an examination. As is the case with this painting, it uh, had very yellow oxidized varnish on top. The traditional varnishes, while in the beginning, give it a very nice, saturated, beautiful gloss look on the surface. Uh, yellow, over time, and that was the case with this one. And then also, there there was just a lot of retouch. So somebody had tried to clean it at some point in its life, and in doing so, overcleaned it removed some original paint and they covered all those spots up that they had overcleaned with a new paint and uh, so as a conservator one thing that we do we don't become the artist we never cover up original paint.
1: Christy works with really old paint some of it is up to 600 years old but what do you think the future of paint is?
0: I think there's a lot of paint still in its uh, baby steps I think it's gonna
1: get a lot more
0: advanced.
1: So what would you like to see paint be able to do that it can't do now?
0: I think change colors would be awesome, but I think that's pretty far in the future. I think, like, I can just think of a color I want it to be, and then when it comes on, it'll be the exact same color I want. And also, the paint never really runs out on your brush. Like, one uh, dip could last, like, an entire canvas.
1: That'd be really cool. That would be really cool. Maybe someone will invent that one day. The explanation of why paint sticks is complicated. It has to do with what the paint is made of. Solvent, resin, pigment, and additives. And how it dries. The solvent evaporates. And the molecules the paint and surface are made of. And how they bond together. That's it for this episode of Brains On. This
0: episode was produced by Sandin Totten, Mark Sanchez, and Molly Bloom. Many
1: thanks to Keith Bay, Remy Emdor, Rich Simon, Colin Turner, Francisco Zayera, Stephen Hobbs, Chelsea Martinez, and Colin Campbell. And thanks to our Molecule actors, Jackie Fuller, Eric Ringham, Meg Martin, Curtis Gilbert, and Tom Weber. To hear more episodes, head to our website, BrainsOn.org. While you're there, you can subscribe to our newsletter to find out about new episodes and other fun stuff.
0: And you can always subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you are on iTunes, leave us a review. We'll be really,
1: really, really grateful. Totally. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at brains underscore on. Or you can email us at hello at brainson.org. Now, before we go, it's time for our moment of um... Um, 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 um,
6: um, 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 um,
0: um, um, um Hi, man. It's Aisha. I live in Marietta, Jordan, six years old. My question is, how does the sand get on the beach?
6: Well, I'm Sam Greenaway. I'm a lieutenant commander with, uh, with NOAA, and I run the technology program at the Office of Coast Survey in the National Ocean Service. My, my field's mapping, so I go and map the ocean. Sand on beaches comes from mountains, comes from ground up rocks that get washed down into the ocean, and then get moved around by uh, currents and waves, and sometimes fetch up on beaches. Sometimes there's bits of shell in there that obviously comes from bits of living animals. Sometimes bits of ground up coral. Sometimes different kind of rocks depending on what kind of rocks are in the area. Black sand usually comes from volcanic rocks. Light-colored sand are largely quartz, and if you pick up a handful of it, they even look clear. I've even been to some beaches where the sand squeaks uh, quite loudly when you watch over it. A lot of the white sand beaches on, from, say, Hawaii are, are bits of ground-up coral, and that coral gets ground up by, uh, by a fish, a, a parrotfish that chews on reefs and poop it out. as nice ground-up white sand, and that washes up on beaches. And I'd encourage any, anybody next time they're at a beach to just grab a handful and have a close look.
1: No time to relax on a sandy beach right now because I need to read this list of listeners who are going to be added to the brain's honor roll. These are the magnificent minds who have shared ideas, questions, mystery sounds, and drawings with us. It's true. Thousands of minds are better than one. Brendan from San Carlos, California Theron from Katumba, Australia Metsley from Northampton, Massachusetts Teodoro from The Hague, Netherlands Nico from La Jolla, California Hugo from Standish, Maine James and Audrey from Brooklyn, New York Riley from Ashburn, Virginia Maya from Seattle Campbell from Portland, Oregon Theo and Owen from Los Angeles Marion and MJ from Yokosuka, Japan Lily from Katy, Texas Coleman and Eleanor from Anniston, Alabama Keith from Winnipeg, Manitoba Amaya from Minneapolis Eden from South Orange, New Jersey Abby from Virginia RJ from Morrisville Vermont. Marion from Sebastopol, California, Khadija from Houston, James and Thomas from Peachtree Corners, Georgia, William from Mill Valley, California, Jason and Abby from Brisbane, Australia, James from Shanghai, China, Sarah from St. Louis, Tad from San Francisco, Jasper from Boise, Idaho, Ezra and Finn from Cranston, Rhode Island, Henry and Will from Denmark, Australia, Anna from Johns Creek, Georgia, Andrew from Durham, North Carolina, Joshua and Ethan from Cote d'Ivoire, Samuel from Ottawa, Violet from Jackson Heights, New York, Allison, Owen, and Eve from Sioux, Falls, Lucas and Felix from Westport, Connecticut, Finn from Durham, North Carolina, Kale and Nolan from Matamidi, Minnesota, Robert from San Francisco, Riley from Hebron, Kentucky, and Mikey from London, England.
6: Brains
1: on. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions.
0: Thanks for listening.
4: On.
3: Come on, dance yeah. Molecule party. Party, party, party. <laughs> <Any occasion. laughs>